I was going through scriptures, and a lot of times when I, I say go through scriptures, I go through in a general sense, and I sit back, and I just kind of comb through the, the Old Testament, New Testament, whatever it is I'm looking. And so this particular time, I wanted, I said, Father, there's an aspect of this we need to get into yet, and I think we can get there with the king. And so I began to go through the kings in my head and just kind of and picture that. And as I was going through the kings of my, in my head, I, I came upon, upon a, um, a, a thought of a, of a story of a man. I said, oh, he's not a king, but he would do this. He would bring this about. And so I went back and, and looked at the story and well, it's, a, it's going to be a lot more involved than I had first thought. And it pushed some things that I intended to get into today uh, down the road just a little bit. But I hope you'll be blessed by it and that it will be good for you. There is a man in the Old Testament, and I put this up on Facebook. I don't know how many of you are seeing that. If you are not seeing the things on Facebook, if you don't like them, they don't show up. Just so you know that. If you just look at them when they pop up and don't do anything with it, it won't happen. There is a, I, I like ocean scenes. How many of you don't like ocean scenes? Well, see, Facebook knows I like ocean scenes because I actually have a couple of Ocean City, New Jersey sites on my, uh, that I liked. And when the people put, put up pictures, I get them. And I like them. And so if I like them, they keep showing up. Well, it sees me liking those. And so it started getting other ocean pictures and it shows me those. And so as long as I like them, I get one or two of them a day. They just keep coming because I like them. If I ignore them, I don't get them anymore. So if you don't like the church post, you won't see them because Facebook says, oh, well, you didn't like that. Let's find something that you did. That's how it's geared. So if you just look at it and say, oh, that was neat, I enjoyed that, and just let it go on by and don't, don't like it or don't comment on it or don't do something, then they won't show up in your feed a whole lot. And I can tell most people aren't seeing them because they give us a count how many people saw the thing. And out of the uh, 385 people or so that we have on the, on the page, sometimes we only get a count of about 11, 20, that, actually, uh, that it says actually saw it. Now, I don't know how accurate that is, but the more you like something, the more you will see it test it out go up there and find some minister that you like never liked this stuff maybe you go out there and find something from Creflo Dollar and you like it all of a sudden all the things from Creflo Dollar is going to be popping up on your on your feed you may like that I, I would but that's something that you have to do I cannot do that for you you have to do it yourself if you want to go out there and force yourself to see it go find a church page and you can just scroll down all you're going to see is the post that we have in there like a couple of them they'll keep showing up in your in your spot. But I put this up on Facebook for you that there was a man in the Old Testament who thought that there were wrongful deaths that he attributed to one person. He saw some people who died and he decided one person was guilty. He could not be swayed that this one person was not guilty. He knew this person was guilty and he harbored a grudge and he harbored anger about this person and the death that he felt he was responsible for. Now we know from the Word of God that this person he blamed was not even in the same vicinity. He was nowhere around. We also know the person who was to blame for the death. We know exactly who killed him. But this person wanted nothing to do with that truth. He harbored that anger for many years. It brought him to a place where he actually began to, uh, he had an opportunity to take that anger that was in him and verbally express it. And he did. Now, doesn't that sound like a lot of stuff going on today? And yet it's in the Bible. 
I'm not stretching anything. I'm not pulling anything to try and get that. When we read the story, you will see I'm telling you exactly how it was. This person was not responsible for the death. In fact, this person was responsible for not killing him. But he didn't want to hear about it. Now, the person that he accused, what you're going to find here is that the person who did the accusing stepped way outside of the boundaries of what he was allowed and what he should do. The person he accused, he caused that person to not operate within his boundaries for a certain period of time. He helped feed some things that were going on inside this individual and kept him from operating within the boundaries. Now, he eventually got out of it. And he went back into operating where he was supposed to operate. But for a while, he stepped back from it. It had an effect on, on many people. But in particular, these two. This person who was accused needed to answer one question. And I think that question is, a, is one that often we run into. And we don't answer, we don't have an answer for it, and it causes us to have the same problem as the one who was accused. Do I have your interest? Now, I put a lot of people in the outline, so you, you don't necessarily jump out at you just from that, because there's a lot of people in this, in this story. Last week, we were looking at Caleb, how he said, I'm 85 years old, I'm just as good of a warrior as I was when I was 40 when we first came to this land. And I will take the areas that other people would shy away from. I'm taking the mountain. And he took the city of Horeb first, which ended up being the capital for David. And then he went on and took some of the other cities that were on the mountain. Because he would not be, he would not be swayed. These are my borders. He said, I want you to give me the mountain. I want you to make the mountain my borders. And he went in there and he operated within his borders and he took everything he was supposed to take. But here in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. Now I'm going to summarize here and give you some of the after this because we don't have time to go through all the, all the stuff that went on before. And as I was looking through some things, it doesn't seem like this is a story we get into a whole lot, but it is a worthwhile story to, to look at. I know the story with Absalom is not a new one to you. Just about everybody knows about the rebellion that he did. But after this happened, that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. After this happened, what he is talking about here is immediately what happened before this was there was a, there was a thing that went on in, in, in David's family. In that uh, one of the brothers, he was a half-brother to the sister, and uh, basically he raped her. And Absalom was upset that his father didn't discipline the son, didn't do anything uh, drastic to the son. And... Uh, Absalom held that grudge and eventually he went up and he did he executed the justice he felt like his father should so David uh, banished Absalom from the kingdom Absalom kept messing with Joab to try and get to come on back Joab finally he didn't he didn't care for Absalom but he just wanted to get him to stop pestering him have you ever had somebody pestered you for something and you guys got tired of them pestering you so you just did the thing just so they wouldn't bother you anymore that's what was going on. So Joab uh, uh, finally did that because Absalom basically set his fields on fire. And he said, you know, what are you doing burning my fields? And then he says, well, I want you to get me an audience with the king. So he finally did. And, and so uh, they came together. And I don't know 
uh, Absalom was brought back into the kingdom, but David still wanted nothing to do with him. So he's back in the kingdom. He just kind of let him be there. And Absalom went about and uh, still had this, this, this harboring, this grudge against David. But he wanted to be in a position to hurt David. And so he got himself in a position to hurt David. But it said after this happened, but there's some other things that happened with David that also helped set this up. Do you remember David's family? None of them believed in him. His brothers didn't believe in him because his father didn't believe in him. His father treated him like an outcast. He gave him a job that no one else, he didn't want anybody else in the family having to mess with. And when David came back and had the story, I killed a lion, I killed a bear, they laughed at him. They didn't believe him. I don't know where his mother was in all this. We don't really have her, her brought in. But because the father criticized him, the brothers criticized him. And we saw that in a few of the interactions that happened there. And David was left outside. When the prophet came to anoint one of the sons to be king, the father brings all the sons except David. He leaves him out in the field because he has so little respect for David. You imagine having a father has that little respect for you and is that open about it? And so Samuel says, nope, it's none of these guys. Do you have any other sons? Did you forget one? Well, yeah, we got this other one. You know, he's, he's kind of a... We don't, we don't like him a whole lot, but, you know, if we have to, we'll go get him. Now, if you had a son and he really killed a lion and killed a bear, would you not bring him to be seen by the prophet at least? To see if he would be the king? None of the other sons killed lions and bears to pre- preserve his father's sheep. He had problems with his family. He went over there and he killed the giant for Israel because everyone else was afraid. And he said he'll be just like one of those lions. He'll be just like that bear. It's no big deal. I'll go out there and do it. And Saul had saw something in him he never saw in someone else. He said, this guy will do it. So he sends the kids out to get Goliath. And we don't have time to get in all the different parts of the story. But you remember what he would ask over and over, over again? What will be done for the person who kills Goliath? And I think the thing that jumped out to him was his family will not have to pay any taxes. And if I was David and I came up in that, don't you think it's going through my mind? Maybe now my father will finally like me. So he was attached to Saul and Saul became attached to him and things were going well and he's in the palace now. None of the other kids are in the palace. He's in the palace. And he goes out to war. He's excelling. He's doing better than his brothers. And they sang songs about David. They didn't sing songs about his brothers. And then Saul got jealous and Saul tried to kill him. And he had a falling out with Saul. And he eventually had to run for his life. He had a great friend in Jonathan. But eventually he had to leave Jonathan because of the things that went on with with his, uh, with Jonathan's father. There was a split kingdom. He was anointed to take over the kingdom. And even though God had anointed him to be king over Israel, only Judah accepted him. And the rest of them said no. And there was war between the two houses. As we said, he had problems with his children. There was the falling out with Absalom and the return. Understand this, our past can have a great impact on how we see the present. This is David's past. It's going to impact him how he sees what's going on now. 
Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the kingdom for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. If you steal something, you've taken it with dishonest means. He stole their hearts because he does not intend any of this. He would hear their side, and of course your side is right. Of course your side is right. Now, the Word of God says you need to hear two sides of an argument. How I many you know that's because you need to hear both sides? Just because you heard one side doesn't mean you're ready. I know many a minister in the gospel, you may know as well, but I know many a minister in the gospel who are wiser than the Word of God. And they will make a decision based on one. They will hear one side and they have such great wisdom, they will make a decision as to who was right based on one side. Then there are those people and they don't even need to hear any. They just observe, they just look, and they decide who's right and who's wrong. The Word of God, if you want to follow the Word of God and the wisdom of the Word, you must always hear both sides. You say there, there's two sides every argument, there's actually three usually. There's what one person says, there's what the other person says, and then there's the truth. A judge is supposed to hear both sides and try and figure out what that that part of the truth is. The Word of God says in Proverbs 21, 2, every, man, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. That's just the way it's going to be. If someone is going to present their case, they're presenting it in such a way as they're right. And this is what Absalom would do. Absalom didn't care who was right. I just want you to think that I think you're right. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. As he goes on in verse 3. God wants righteousness and he wants justice. That's more important to him than sacrifice. Make sure that you, you get to the nub of the truth. Get to what's going on. We got people just like Absalom who are in powerful positions. He was the son of a king. That is a powerful position. And he decides to use a powerful position for his own personal gain. To gain the favor of the people. This is not uncommon. We see this a lot. We saw this this week when, you know, Nancy Pelosi's out there getting her hair done. And then blames the hairdresser's studio for it. Like they forced her to go out there and get the, the thing done. That's just ridiculous. And now, now you, now you know that she's actually filed a lawsuit against the hairdresser. Through her daughter, but filed a lawsuit against the hairdresser. So Nancy Pelosi, who in all her many millions of dollars that she has, as, as far as her wealth, has how many refrigerators full of ice cream that she was showing off on the, the one little video that she did? Uh, High-end ice cream, too, not the, you know, briars that you get at the... I like briars, but <laughs> this is, this is uh, higher end than that. I'm not using much for higher end ice cream, but, you know, it's like $10 a pint or something like that. And she's got two or three refrigerators full of them, and she's over there bragging about all these things, and she's uh, held up in the, in the, uh, because of the virus, but you know, she's okay. She got all the ice cream she wants to eat, and she's going after someone who can't even open up their store to make a living because of the rules 
that the people in California, and I don't know that Nancy was directly responsible for that. I don't think people are saying that, you know, she made these rules. I don't know that she did. She's, a, she's a, not a state representative. She is a federal. So I don't think she has any hand in the state laws. You have to have a, at least some semblance of, of understanding what's going on with that. I don't think she has any. She could, she could probably talk to some people and get some influence. But it is interesting to note that the next day that the state decided to change things about hairdressers. The next day after the whole thing blew up with Nancy Pelosi. Now, see, that's just using positions of power wrongly. So we can see it going on today. You know I have absolutely no respect for Nancy Pelosi. That's not something I'd hide. I'd tell it to her if I saw her to her face. If I decided to engage her in a conversation, which I probably wouldn't. I don't like to talk to liars. And she's as, as big of a liar as I've ever seen. Plus, her, hate, her, her face is so filled with hate, I don't need to talk to that. But people do talk to her. Just not me. Uh, I don't have time for people who use their positions to hurt other people to get themselves wealthy. You don't get as wealthy as the Pelosi's are doing the jobs that they say they've been doing. That's, uh, that's just not right. That poor uh, uh, person who has the hairstylist company. Well, there's, you can keep talking about that, but we're not here for, for that sort of stuff. We're here for this. Absalom is using his position as the son, that's why he got to be in the gate. That's why he got to have the discussions because of his position as a son of the king. And so he began to, to do this and he pulled it aside. You know, if I was a judge, I would decide for you because your case is right. If anybody ever hears your side and says, well, you must be right, just understand they're either a fool or they're trying to snow you. Either way, you don't need that. If you've got somebody in your life who's trying to tell you, look, it may not be that way. Have you considered that it might be this and something like over here? That's the person you need in your life. Most times people throw them out. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear somebody who's going to tell me I'm doing all right. That it's not my fault. So this is what he did, and he did this with a number of different people to get them on his, on his side. So now it came to pass after 40 after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, it's not actually like 40 years, I forget, I had looked this up before and I forget what it was changed to, but it was, um, I believe the word years, before, that's what it was, four years. Thank you, Miss Gladys. Some, somebody remembered better than me. <laughs> now it came to pass after 40 or four years, actually, that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. This is where David ruled from. This is where he's going out to. So he's saying, Let me go and serve the Lord. He's using the Lord as an excuse. This man is not a genuine servant of God. He is a servant of Absalom. But he's throwing this off so his father will let him go and so he can take some, some stuff with him. So he pretends to be in submission to the, to the king and he pretends to be in submission to God. But he's not. Verse 10, Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. Now these spies are, or the, these are just people that are sent out there. They have a mission. They have a, something they're supposed to do. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from, the, from Jerusalem and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. 
Now, Ahithophel, most of you know this by now, Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. Do you think he has an axe to grind? He's upset with how David handled Bathsheba and then he killed off her husband. Messed up their family. He is upset. He has harbored this anger until an opportune time when Absalom came along and they found out we both have, we both have anger against the same guy. They concocted this scheme and Ahithophel is the one who told him probably, because Absalom I don't think is, is smart enough to do this. He told him what to say, what to do in the gate. Told him where to be, told him how long to take on this thing. And they measured it out and Ahithophel is probably the one that said it's time now. Now go over to Hebron and do it this way and he laid it all out there. When you get things set up, give me a call. I'll head on out there. So he called for him and so Ahithophel went, went out to him. This is David's counselor. And the people were growing stronger so he is building a revolt over in Hebron and David is unaware. Until verse 13. Now a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And the king went out with all the house, all his household after him. But the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all his servants passed before him, all the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the Gittites. Six hundred men who had followed him from Gath passed before the king. So he still has his six hundred men. They're still with him. And they go out with him on this. They're not going to go over there with Absalom. All six hundred men apparently go with him. The king said to a tie, now this is a tie, the Gittite, it is not a tie, one of the 600. There isn't a tie in the 600, this is not him. This is a different one. Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go? I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. And Atai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, wherein in death or in life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Atai, Go and cross over. Then Atai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. So he came over with more than just himself. He also had some uh, a crew with him. Now how good of a person, how kind of a character do you have to be that if you meet somebody... And in one day, that person wants to die for you. What does that tell you about David? It tells you that David doesn't have to stand in the gates and lie about their case being right to get people on his side. David just has to meet people. And they say, man, this guy has got such character. Wow, he is just... I I don't meet people like this too much. He could really put some things into me and make me into a better person. And David made everyone around him better than they were. Remember the 600 men, these are people that everybody cast off. Nobody wanted anything to do with them anymore. And they became an incredible fighting force. That was because David sowed into them and he made them better. And Atai doesn't want to lose that. He says, "Uh uh-uh, I found somebody who's going to make me a better person than I ever was. I'm staying with you and I'm staying with your God. 
Now, I put this in your outline, so I'll make sure I tell you, but deception is always a tool used by those who need people in numbers to empower their objective. They always use deception. All this stuff with the virus. If they did not use deception, they would not get the masses number of people on the side. If you don't have a mass number of people, then uh, how many people have ever been mass shamed? Because you don't have a mask on. You're not wearing a mask? Now, I went out this week and I intentionally, I went into places, I wanted to be mass shamed. I'm actually saying, Father God, have them mask shame me. I am, I want them to. I walked into stores that are generally going to get on you for it. I wanted them to. I'm actually, I'm begging them, please tell me to put on a mask. Cause I had a, I had a whole thing ready for them. We're going to have a good discussion. I wasn't going to get aggressive. I wasn't going to get nasty with them. I wasn't going to hurt them, but we were going to have a fun discussion. And I was all ready for it. I walk right by the table where the guy is standing there with the mask and the gloves and the lotions and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, when they're supposed to insist upon you. And I walk by, I said, hi. He said, hi. And I walk right on by him. <laughs> I went through the checkout. Talked to the person. How are you doing today? He goes, I'm doing good. And we had a nice little fun discussion there at the line. He's got a mask on. I don't. Going right on through the line. Doggone, they didn't ask me. So I'll have to wait till later on. But you see, they, <laughs> they, they, they're trying to get a mass number of people to do something, even though it's already, it has come out so much that masks don't do any good, that the death count has been, you all saw that, the CDC dropped the death count by 96%. 94%, 94, 96, uh, 94%. 6% of the people they said died of the disease, only 6% of them did. That's, that's, that's faking some numbers. But you see, if you don't fake those numbers, you don't get people on that side. And so you got people all over that are stuck in their houses because they're afraid. Let me ask you this. If the people in the know are not afraid to go out, why should we be afraid that are not in touch with all the things they are. If Nancy Pelosi, at 80 years old, who's supposed to be in the high-risk category, walks into a salon without a mask, why are they insisting that we have them? Why are they telling older people, don't go out, if they themselves are willing to go out? Why is it that the mayor of Philadelphia is shut down all the restaurants because it's harmful? But then he's found in another state eating out of the restaurant. Why is it that the mayor of Chicago has decided that uh, protests need to go on until they came into her neighborhood? Now they need to stop. And we've had a couple of people that have done, done things like this. Why is it why is this okay? And you can keep on going. I can keep naming you governors and, and mayors who it's, this is what we need to do, but they're out there doing something different. If the people in the know have not embraced the fear, why should the people that are not in the know embrace the fear? Get rid of the fear. They don't need to be there. But if you need Numbers of people in order to empower your objective, you must use deception.
to get everybody to believe the things you want them to believe. This is what Absalom did. He got them to believe David is not on your side. You people who don't have the interaction with David, you don't know this, but David doesn't care about you. And so he got many of them to, to go along because this, we, just, we just need you to empower us. We just need your numbers. As soon as certain people, even in this day and age, as soon as they are no longer empowering them with their numbers, they are useless. And they'll toss them aside. Well, let's keep going here. In verse 23, And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. This is... Um, Deception. This is what people try and do. They want to bring you along. And then even when the deception is cleared up and it's made known, this we, we deceived you with that. Yeah, but we, we still need to stay on this side. Verse 24, There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of the God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to the Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimaz your son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. So the idea is, you guys get on the inside. If you hear stuff, I want you to pass it on to me. Send your sons. Your sons are young. They can run. They can get out here. Do you know that Absalom was watching their sons? Comes up, we're not going to get into that chapter, but he's watching their sons. He had spies. He had people who would just watch them. And when they left and they went to a place, they said they went over to here. And so they went over to that place to try and uh, try and get the messengers. But they hid in a well. When you are a deceiver, as Absalom was, then you believe that everyone around you is a deceiver. And you don't trust them. When you are a person like David, who doesn't practice deception, you believe that everyone around you is genuine. It's a test you can always give yourself. The more you distrust others, the more likely it is that you are not genuine. The more genuine you are with people, the more you trust them. What's the Word of God say about how we should trust other people? How we, or how we, sh how we should believe the best in others? Believe the best in them. That's how we ought to, to go out. But see, the, the, the devil, he's an accuser. He will go out there and he will constantly tell you, that person, they don't like you. That person, they're trying to do something against you. But that's, not, that's against the Word. The Word of God says, believe the best. Believe the best in them. Otherwise, go over there and talk to them about it. So this is uh, David trusting God. He's telling Zadok, look, I trust God. He can bring me back and I'll see everything again. If not, 
It's fine if I die. So David went up by the, by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. He had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now, what he's praying here is not that Ahithophel's counsel would become foolish. Ahithophel had a gift for counseling. And he knew that was not going to change. But if a person hears wisdom and doesn't follow it, doesn't like it, it will appear foolishness to him. They'll go a different direction. So that's what he's saying. He wants Absalom, who is basically a fool, to view the wisdom that comes from Ahithophel as foolish and go after foolish counsel. That's what his prayer is. Now what happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn, dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so now I will also be your servant, then you may defeat the council of Ahithophel for me. And you do not have Zadok and Abiath, and, and do you not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, with you? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar, the priest, indeed. They have there with them their two sons, Ahimaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Now, it's got to be a good friend if you can tell him, look, you come along with me, you're going to slow me down. But if you go back to the city, you can help me out here. And basically, he put his life at risk. Because if the mission is discovered... Hushai would be killed. And Hushai does a great job at what he was supposed to do. Now, when David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. Because they had the, the women and children with them. The bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you, and I'm, that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Now you all probably know the story of, Meth- of uh Ziba and the deception he did that uh, this is not at all what happened. That Mephibosheth is, is not at home waiting for the kingdom to be restored. He is a descendant of Saul. One of the last descendants of Saul. And because of his covenant with Jonathan, David wanted to do something good. And so he found Mephibosheth who was in hiding who was very angry at David because he was told the story that when he was young the nurse carried him in to flee so that he would not be killed when the new regime came in. And dropped him, and he's been lame ever since. And so he's been told this story, so he's mad at David, and when David finally meets him, he's ready to, he's, he's just thinking, well, David's gonna kill me now. And David didn't. David restored him to a place, and put him at the king's table, and fed him, and took care of him, and just shocked him. And so David's been doing this for all these years, and now, he hears this story, that Mephibosheth turned his back on him. If you understand David, David's had people, Saul, his, his own family, He's had his sons 
These are people that were close to him. He did a lot for it and they turned their back on him. So why couldn't he believe that Mephibosheth would do this? But here is Ziba bringing all these things. These were all helpful things for their, for their flight. What helped them to get to where they were going to go. And so he accepted them. But look at what he does. Here, verse 4, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. David heard one side of the argument and decided it was right. This is a premature judgment. David never should have done it. But he did. It was a believable lie and he makes a quick judgment. Be careful, even though you may hear a believable lie. There may be more to it. And especially if that is presented by the news media. Understand, it is a lie. They just can't help themselves. Verse 5. Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was... Now, I looked this up. I wanted to make sure we got it right. Because uh, it, it, to me, it looks like I would pronounce it Shemaiah. Shemaiah. And I looked this up. The English pronunciation of this is Shemaiah. The, the Hebrew, the actual Hebrews, people will say this as Shema. So I, I'm going to go with the Hebrew one. Shema. Or I'm sorry, Shemaiah. She may. It was more of like a long A sound on there. The E-I. The E-I to me sounds like more of a, it, it's a, what you call a diphthong and I think it comes out more like a long A. But um, his name is Shimei. He is from the house of Saul. Son of Gera coming, coming from, he came out cursing continuously as he came. Don't know exactly what he's saying. He's probably pronouncing curses upon David but he may have been just cursing in general. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Now picture this. Here you got this poor excuse of a man who's been harboring bitterness for a long time who comes upon David seeing him leave in the city, comes out cursing him and throwing rocks at him and the mighty men. Now the mighty men in David's army, you know there's the three, the thirty, the three hundred out of the six hundred. These guys did feats that were incredible. I mean, I, I, I was just talking to somebody this week about it. Ram, I think the movie Rambo came from this, these chapters to talk about these guys. Because these guys did stuff that you think, how in the world could any one person have done these things, these feats. So they're, they're uh, kind of fun to read through. But all these guys are around David and he's throwing stones. What do they have? What do the mighty men have at their disposal? Armament. They got some of the best swords. They probably got some spears. They, whatever kind of armament you want to have, these guys have got it. Because they are around David. They're around David to protect David. They would give their lives to keep David safe. And here's this numb nut. <laughs> throwing curses and stones at David. Because he's angry. They could turn around and slaughter him in a moment. 
They didn't do it. And Shemai, I'm sorry, Shemai said what, thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son. So now, you are caught in your own evil, because you are a bloodthirsty man. Now, to bring this into today, Shimei would have a sign on his front lawn, anyone but David. Just to help you understand it, bring it in today. Anybody but David. He is from the house of Saul, but he's okay with Absalom. Why? Because he's not David. He wants David out. Because he has blamed David for the death of Saul. He has death blamed David for the death of the rest of the family. But when we go back to the story and we read what happened, it was not David who killed Saul. Anybody remember who killed Saul? He fell on his sword. He asked his body, his armor bearer, kill me, because he was wounded in the battle. Kill me. I won't do it. And so he fell on the sword. Later on, someone reported, I killed Saul. And David had him killed. Because he, he had done that. David didn't kill anyone in Saul's family. That was the Philistines who did it. The Philistines killed Jonathan. The Philistines killed Saul. It was a battle. And they lost. David didn't have anything to do with it. In fact, he wanted to go with the Philistines into the battle. And the lords of the Philistines said, no, he's going to turn on us in the, in the battle. And so they wouldn't let David go. David's not even in the battle. Because he wasn't permitted to go. But this guy has the idea that David did it. David killed him. People probably came and told him. David was not around. He was not allowed to go into the battle. I don't, don't, don't tell me that. They're lying to you. He was there. He killed him. No, we have the testimony from the armor bearer. He said he asked them to kill him and he wouldn't do it. And the armor bearer said he, he took his sword and he killed himself. He killed himself. No, I know David did it. He won't be convinced of anything else. And all these years, all the years when David reigned in Hebron, all the years that he's reigned here in Jerusalem, all these years he has harbored this. He has kept this up. And he is so angry, he now sees an opportunity that here comes David leaving the city. And so he makes that opportunity to go there to him. I wonder if he was even in on the conspiracy with Absalom. I don't know. Doesn't seem like he's been brought into it on, on any of that. But he's, he's throwing curses. He's throwing stones at these people. I don't know. If you have somebody throwing stones at you to hurt you, how many of you are going to listen to David when David says, let him alone? <laughs> All right. Tell you what. I'll just take away his ability to throw stones. How's that? Nope, don't do it. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul. See, he thinks God's in this. He thinks that God is in Absalom doing the deception. He thinks it's payback because of the blood that David has, has done. See, now we have evidence. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. 
Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please, let me go over and take off his head. And he would have done it too. Abishai was a good warrior. He's Joab's brother. And Joab was a good warrior. Their other brother got killed back when the kingdom was in war. When the northern kingdom was in war with the southern kingdom. And they were at war and he was killed. What am I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. So he said, let the guy curse. And he does. As verse 13, And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the, haste, the, the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. So this kept on going. Now look at what David says. Look at David's response. No, let him alone. It may be that the Lord has sent him. Why does he say that? Because David is having doubts about whether the Lord is with him anymore. He is wondering, has the anointing left me? That this thing would happen. Has the anointing shifted? And now Absalom has that anointing? Because you remember, David served under Saul and because of things that Saul did, the hand of God was taken from Saul and it was put upon David. So the accuser of the brethren, can you see him doing this? David, the sin you did with Bathsheba. The sin you, and he begins to name off the sins that David had done. You killed her husband. Just naming sins that David had done. God is done with you. He has no more mercy for you, David. And just as the anointing left Saul, the anointing has left you. And he's, he's considering this is probably right. And he has withdrawn from the call that God gave him. He is not acting as king right now. He's acting as the victim of a very angry man. You see, as king, he could just say, that's not something he should be doing. And he could have commanded him, he would have been killed. This guy harbored this, this anger for a long time. I am sure this is not the only thing he has done against David. You don't harbor that kind of anger and not do something before. Something was done before. In fact, later on, David's going to make mention of it. I think we'll, we'll look at that scripture. He makes mention of it to his son. You know the evil he has done to me. It seems like there was more than one thing that he had done. Not just this one. There was other things because he, he had this. No one could tell him anything different. David wasn't there. David did not kill them. No, I know that he did. Don't you tell me otherwise. Now, when David comes back, I'm sure to all your shock and amusement, Shimei has a change of heart. In 1 Samuel 19, verse 15, Then Saul 
sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong one, I think. Yep, I'm in the wrong one. I needed a second Samuel. I pulled up first Samuel. Can you give me second Samuel 19:15? That wasn't a, a good mistake, but we'll pull it from there. Because David is on his way back and Shimei decides, well, we better, uh, we better fix this. And so he comes on back. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to go and to meet the king to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite who was from Bahua, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. We're going to meet him. We're not going to have him find me somewhere. We're going to meet him where he's at. Because he's going to have this, this change of heart. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons, and his twenty servants with him, and they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned, therefore here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. And Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. Now, he was, he was the one ready to kill him before. Let me do it now. And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For I do not know that today I am king over Israel. Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. So that's what he wanted to get. He wanted to get that he wouldn't die. And so he... Uh, he promises, you know, I won't do that anymore. And I have to wonder, does he really live up to that? Or does he underhandedly go and begin to do more things against David in the years that are to come? Because when we go over to 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 8, this is David addressing Solomon as he is going to take over the throne. And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahum, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanim. And he came down to meet me at the Jordan. I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. He's, not, he's telling him, don't just let him die a natural death. Now, he's going to execute this in verse 36. And the king sent and called Shimei, and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there anywhere. As they say, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. He wants you, you stay here in Jerusalem where I am, and you don't leave. I'm going to know everything that you do. I'm going to know every place that you go, because obviously some of the things that he has gone, places that he's gone, some of the things that he's done, have not been good. So he wants to watch them. For it shall be on the day that you go out and cross the brook Kidron. Know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, The saying is good. 
as my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years. Three years he had to stay inside the city. The two slaves, oh, there we go, he's a slave owner. Uh-huh. The two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. Now, we don't know what nationality the slaves were. I don't know if he had Israeli slaves or if he had uh, slaves of some foreign country, but he had two. And they apparently took off. Now, if they took off, more than likely he wasn't treating them very nicely. I would say that's a, a real good reason for them to have taken off. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Akish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, No, for certain, that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, The word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? And the king said moreover to Shimei, You know as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David. Therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Now he refers to a lot more wickedness it sounds like than just the going out and cursing them and throwing the stones. There was apparently some other stuff that he had done. And he said, we've had it with you. Don't, don't, don't give me the excuse. I mean, if he wanted to, he could have gone to Solomon or sent somebody to Solomon and said, Solomon, I, uh, my two slaves ran away. I want to go get them. And Solomon could say, I'll send somebody for them. Or he could say, he would do something else. I don't know what Solomon would have said. He may have said, you, don't, you shouldn't have any slaves. And <laughs> just said, let them go. I don't know what he would have done. But he didn't give him that opportunity. He just simply said, you went, you weren't supposed to, you die. And so, that was it, you died. But see, here's the question that David had to get before he could be, act as king again. Is God with me? Does God still want me to be in this position? Does God still want me to do what he called me to do? Now, we've been talking about borders, about operating within the, the realm that God has given you to operate in. The enemy is always trying to come and accuse you to get you to pull back from doing something you're supposed to do in there. Just as he did with David. Don't act as king. Maybe God has pulled his anointing off of you. You shouldn't act as king, and so he didn't act as king. And this guy here, because of the anger, he started operating in areas where he had no right operating in. He made accusations without any facts, without knowing anything at all. Just made accusations. And because of it, he died. But is God with you? Has the enemy ever brought accusations against you? You're out there doing whatever it is that God has told you to do. You're out there serving God. And the enemy comes to you and says, God is not with you anymore. Look at what you have done. Look at where you have come from. Look at these things, these thoughts in your head. You're not godly. God's not anointed you. Is God with you or has He changed His mind because of what you have 
or what you haven't done. Maybe it's not so much what you have done. Maybe it might be that God has told you, Steve, I want you to do this. And I haven't done it. And the enemy comes up to me and he says, you know you haven't done what God told you to do. God's given up on you. Your time's up. He's accused you. Made you think that God's anointing is not on you anymore, that God is not with you, that God will not help you. And that will keep you from doing what God has told you to do. That'll keep you out of the areas that God has told you to get into. If God has told you something to help out with your health and you haven't done it, He's going to give you condemnation. Well, you haven't done it. Now it's too late. Now you just got to live with that thing. Or that thing is going to kill you. Or whatever it might be. No, we serve a God of mercy. The enemy wants you to think you serve a God of judgment. And God is. He will judge. But He gives you time. The accuser will constantly hammer you with things like this. Constantly. just will constantly come at you. There may be a time when you just like David, need to get by yourself with God and find out, God, have you really still, or do you still want to be with me? The calling that you have put in my life, is it still on my life? Do you still want me to accomplish this? Do you still want me to go in this direction? Have you given up on me? And when you get that word back that God says, I have not given up on you, go out there and do the things I told you to do. You'll feel empowered. This is what happened with David. He went away with the Lord. And then he felt empowered. I gave you some Psalms. You can go through here and read these. I'm not going to read all these for you. Psalm 3, Psalm 4, Psalm 27, Psalm 31, Psalm 55. The entire chapters of all those Psalms are Psalms that he wrote around situations like this. Verse um, 1 of chapter 3 in Psalms. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you... O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. If we don't have to be afraid of ten thousands of people, why in the world would we be afraid of ten thousands of viruses? No reason for it. Psalm 4. Hear me when I call, O God, O my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for Himself Him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I'm sure some of those parts of those Psalms you've had memorized. Understand this, folks. The enemy wants to isolate you from other believers. 
He wants you to feel like you're all by yourself. He wants to isolate you from those gifts that God has given you to equip you and to strengthen you. He wants you to become isolated from those. He wants you even alienated and isolated from God Himself. Because isolated and dejected, in despair, you are an easy target of the enemy. He's got to undermine you first. Get you out by yourself. Get you away from those people, those gifts that God has put into the body of Christ. He's going to call each one of them on the question. Look at this one. Don't you think that this one is a little suspect? Oh, that one just wants your money. Oh, this one is just in it for this. And it begins to question all these things and it begins to undermine the gifts that God has put into the body of Christ to grow us and to develop us and to equip us. He wants to isolate us from them. He wants to isolate us from other believers. How many things has He told you about other believers? Well, they're not helping you. They don't really like you. They're no good. I mean, come on. Look at the things they talk about. Look at the things they do. He wants to get you isolated. Because then you're easy, easy target. David went away and got with God. He said, God, do you still want me in this place? Have you rejected me the way that you rejected Saul? I know I haven't been perfect. I know that I have messed up on some things. And I know that you rejected Saul for the things that he did. Have I gotten to that place where you have rejected me? And you see, that would tell you right there he's not in the place where Saul was because Saul would never have asked that. Saul was making excuses for why what he did was the best thing even though he didn't obey God. The enemy is going to accuse you. But the less you pay attention to it, the less time he's going to spend on it. Don't give him any, any time with this. When the enemy comes and begins to accuse you, turn him away. Jesus Christ has paid that, has paid that for me. He's going to try and undo your confidence. He does not want you confident in God. He wants you unsure. Unsure of your walk. Unsure of where you're going. Because if you are unsure, you can't be in a place of faith. Faith knows where it's going. Faith is certain. He wants to get you out of that. Don't let him get you out of that. Stay where God wants you. When he comes with accusations, just break out into joy. One of the Psalms we read there, I think Psalm 4, talked about how the, the gladness of your heart. God has put gladness in your heart. The enemy wants to take it away. No matter what it is that comes against you, no matter what disappointments might come your way, be glad in your heart. Father God, I thank you that you have not forgotten me, that you have not forsaken me, that I am still your child, you still love me, and you have a good plan for my life. And I thank you that even though I have missed it in the past in some areas following that plan, I am following it now. And you have a way to get me back on course. You have a way to get me there. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you have such great love for us that even though we miss it over and over again, you are in our corner, pulling for us, helping us to get there. All we need to do is to keep a heart that is soft, a heart that is right before you. A heart that understands I can miss it, but my God will correct me. He will help me. And if my God sends me correction, sends me direction, tells me what to change, 
because he loves me and he wants to keep me in that area where there is great blessing for me. Father, I thank you for the instruction that you give to each one of us, for the help that you give us. You have not left us on this earth by ourselves, just fend for ourselves. You've given us brothers and sisters to help us in our walk and encourage us. You have given us elders, those that are over us, those that are there to teach us and instruct us, those gifts in the body of Christ that you have put in here. Though they're not perfect, they're there to help us, to equip us, to teach us. And I thank you for those gifts. And I thank you that when we reach out and we minister to the people that are around us, we find that we are ministered to as well because you teach us you instruct us you help us to say things we didn't know before that person asked us or before we had that conversation but because we're out there ministering because we're out there teaching because we're out there helping the body of Christ you help us through it I thank you for it I give you praise and glory for your great love that you have for us. You are awesome. Thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I hope you have that question settled in your life, that God has anointed you for whatever purpose he has called you to, that that anointing still rests upon you, and you can continue to walk in that anointing. Pursue it. Pursue him with a with a good heart. Don't be prideful. God can make all the corrections he needs to to steer you in that direction. Want to do, oh, we have communion. I didn't have that up here to remind me. Thank you. Wow. I appreciate that. <laughs> I can do this while they're passing around our our elements. I believe that in your bulletin, every one of you should have a praise report. If you don't have one in your bulletin, I want you to do this for me. Go on the back of the table there and grab one and take it home with you. If you have one in your bulletin, I want you to take it home with you. I want you to do this with it. A lot of times they sit in your Bible. I want you to take that praise report card and I want you to put it up on your refrigerator so that all week you're looking at it. And somewhere during the week, God is going to do something for you. God's going to speak to you. You're going to hear something out of the mouth of someone else. God's going to speak to your heart. God's going to do something for you. God's going to minister to you in some way. Fill that out. When that happens, fill it out right away so that it's ready. And bring that with you. If you think you might not make it here, take a picture of it and text it over to me. Or just text it to me directly, however you want to, but get it over here. And when we start to serve us off next week, I want us to have a bunch of praise reports. Don't think anything is too small, you see? This is one way you can minister to the people. It's when they hear 
what it is that God did for you. God did that for them? Oh, God will do this for me. If you folks are out there and watching it on Facebook, you can send it in, text it to me, put it up on the Facebook, uh, message it to me, however you want to get it to. There's, there's, if you just want to keep it private, put it up there in the message, Facebook Messenger. That'll get to me. But don't let it go. We're going to have all these printed out. We're going to be ready to, to roll with some praise reports. Don't think it's too small. Well, this is nothing. Did it bless you? If it blessed you, it's probably going to bless someone else. Make sure that you do that. Here, looks like everybody has their, their elements. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread before supper. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Upon his body was put our sickness, our disease, that we would not have to bear them anymore. He was beaten. He was bruised. His body took those lashes so that we would walk free. And he said, I want you to remember this. So remember that just as much as we are saved and forgiven, we are saved and healed. Let's eat together. At the end of supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents my blood, which is shed for you. So picture this with the father after he saw his son beaten, whipped, and marred like no one else ever before. You could not even recognize that he was a man. God said, that's not enough. I need his blood to be poured out as a sacrifice. This creation of mine, these people, can be restored in fellowship and restored in life. So Jesus hung on the cross, bleeding. And when he finally let his spirit go, they thrust a sword up his side. And what came out looked like blood and water. And his blood was poured out for us. He sacrificed all he could because his love for us is that great. Let's not forget. Let's remember that his blood is all we need for the forgiveness of sins. Don't let the enemy tell you that your sins are too great, that you've done too much, and that God doesn't love you anymore. Let's drink together and remember. Don't forget your assignment. Fill out your prayers report. Bring it on in here. Bless some people before you go. Don't just leave right on out the door. Most of you don't. Most of you hang around here and and uh, and talk with people. We appreciate that you do that. Bless some people before you go, and we'll see some of you here on Wednesday night.